High School Slumber Party AP is a Cage Club Podcast Network production. For all things Cage Club and High School Slumber Party, head over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. slumbers who take their studies a little more seriously. I'm Brian Rodriguez. And I'm Aislinn Addington. And this is High School Slumber Party AP, a study session in contemporary teen films. And your assignment today is to continue to listen. But first, we have some homework to chat about. Yes, absolutely. As always, please subscribe. Hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us right now. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Stitcher Premium. If you're fancy like me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because there's a couple shows, right, that like you Yeah, really there's like some specific are... shows, yeah, that I wanted access to. Nice. And of course, class participation, huge part of your grade. Follow High School Slumber Party, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Follow our social medias if you really would like. More exciting stuff to come, both from High School Slumber Party, High School Slumber Party, AP, and, you know, maybe personally as well. Um, today is uh, part two of our 2022 teen film review. Apologies, but we're taking a little longer with this one. Lots of teen films in 2022, and we have help from a couple guests this time as well. So uh, thank you, Joey, for hopping on uh, for the last episode. But Island, just you and me today. It's it's just the OG AP staff. <laughs> So, Aizen, since we we had a lot of work to do today, we did a lot of work watching these movies, if you want to call it work. Let's just jump right into it. Happy to. Brian, I want to tell you a little bit about Hello, Goodbye, and Everything in Between. Lilies. Good choice. It's the power of funerals. You ready? Final date before we go to college. Everyone thinks our breakup act is crazy. I feel like we're like the anti-broken hearts club. The poster children of modern relationships. The king and queen of ending things. <laughs> I'm breaking up with you because I love you. Tonight we are reliving our firsts. Every moment that made us, <laughs> us. <laughs> the senior swim starts now! This can't be the end. Are you ready for this? It's obviously not going to be the easiest night, but we're supposed to go off and be our own people and have our own experiences. We, we made a ridiculous joke pack, and you somehow turned it into a binding agreement. Don't use that an excuse when because It's not an excuse when I love you. This big energy shift. So, <laughs> there's a reason that I was excited for you specifically to watch this movie. Jordan Fisher is back and still a teenager, apparently. Apparently. And that was, gosh, I don't know what, what you call this sort of situation. Really just kind of like double the fun. Because 
that was what got me in the door. But the actual delightful surprise was Talia Ryder from oh, yeah. our beloved Never Really, Sometimes Always is the lead in this. And it took me a hot minute. I She was very good in it. And I... I was looking at her in the first scene or two and thinking like, okay, I know this person. I know this person. And I looked it up and she, it's the same human, but I mean, she really is an incredible actress because she was a different person in this movie. Well, very different vibe, right? Very different vibe. Very different vibe. So yeah, Jordan Fisher and and Talia Ryder are our protagonist couple who have in a very logical way decided to break up um, before going to college. Oh, so this is one of those, like uh, between co- high school, college movies or close or what? The structure of it, without giving any spoilers, is very much you see kind of a fast forwarded version of the school year. You see them meet, you see the school year, and then oh. the bulk of the movie is their final date. And it's meant to be this this grand gesture, this action-packed retrospective of their relationship as they send each other off into their real lives, grown-up lives. And through that date, then they revisit important moments in their relationship. Interesting. I mean, it's all much ado about two 18-year-olds, which I understand (laughs) is some of the premise here. But, um, you know, we've talked about this a few things, certainly particular schools and the importance of particular schools is is part of this. We have talked about the going to college with a partner or not going to college with a partner. There's that involved. There's parents' expectations for their young people. So it really is like a soup of a lot of the common ingredients for these films. And it's fine. You know what I mean? Like, if that sounds like the kind of soup you like, yeah, you will enjoy it. I think there were a couple of, I think it's well done, right? Well acted. There's also other teen movie folks involved, right? So Nico Hiraga. Oh, yeah. He's in a lot of stuff. We've seen, yeah, from Booksmart and Moxie. And then Ayo Edabiri, who I love from Big Mouth. And when you go to the IMDb, the picture is of the bear, the film, or the, pardon me, the, the TV show, The Bear. So I'm a big fan of The Bear, and I thought she was the best part of The Bear for me. Oh, really? Oh, that's wonderful. So really, like, happy to hear she's in this movie, and, you know, uh, hopefully she did a good job. Yeah, absolutely. I think the acting was great. It was, I mean, it's, in my mind then, I, I kept thinking of Never Rarely. And uh. this really is kind of the opposite in <laughs> that in that that movie I I felt was so impactful and left like a deep imprint in my brain. And this is a fun Netflix movie. And that's all. <laughs> I can see that. And you know what? It didn't get good reviews. Rotten Tomatoes 29% by the critics, 34% by the audience 2.3 on Letterboxd. Those are not good scores. And yet, I'm intrigued. First of all, because of the leads, I want to sure. see what that romance is like. And yes, we've seen this movie a million times. I've probably seen it more than anyone, to be honest with you. Valid point, yeah. <laughs> but I- I'll watch it again. I think my only, like, yeah, it's 
it is pleasant. My complaint, I think, is part just because there are so many interesting stories being told in just this year, right? This is mm-hmm. the first time I've participated as a watcher of the films. I've, I've certainly seen some of the movies that you've talked about in your previous reviews and I've watched the trailers. But even just taking my snapshot of, you know, a dozen or so movies from this year, there are a lot of really interesting and innovative stories being told. And this just isn't one of them. So I think for me, that's what this, it's kind of a saltine cracker of of a teen movie. And it's certainly not the worst thing we've ever talked about. We're going to have like a final episode here. I feel like this 2022 teen film review where we'll cover or we'll try to watch every teen film from last year now. I feel like it's really going to work like a class because we're going to go all through these things and then we're going to hopefully build to some kind of conclusion that what were the movies of 2020 or what were the teen movies of 2022 like? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what were the stories that were being told? What was the diversity we were seeing or maybe not seeing, right? One thing from doing not just High School Slumber Party AP, but High School Slumber Party in general for many years now, it feels like, I'm starting to see trends like ebb and flow. And one of those things that maybe will be one of my closing statements at the end of our our little lesson here, our little uh, class, it does seem like we're now moving to a point where popcorn movies are a little bit back. Not this one, because it seems like the critics and the people didn't like it. But there are a lot more movies on this list that people liked but critics maybe didn't like, and also vice versa. Sure. Especially some I'm going to talk about, because like you said, this movie is on Netflix. Netflix is not known for winning those awards. Netflix is known for, again, Netflix and chill, right? Sit back on the couch and just like sort of... (laughs) It makes I laugh because it's sounding like terrible to me, but I don't mean it in that way. It's like a lot of digestible... Content. Yeah, it's background. It's while you're cooking. It's while you're folding laundry. It's for some people. I knew people in college who would have movies on in the background doing homework. I could never do that. I can't have other words in and out of my brain. But yeah, this movie is fine. And I think we're going to have and we already have had examples of things that are so much more than fine. So that's my hello, goodbye and everything in between. It was fine. <laughs> I don't know if we'll cover it on AP, but if we do, I think it'll be like something in the vein of, we just did Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. We mm. just probably need a palate cleanser <laughs> or something like that. Already in the movies that I've seen and, and my chunk of the syllabus is smaller than yours, there are other things that I'm like, ooh, I want Brian to see this. So I think if you need a popcorn movie, great, but... I have brought up all the things that I wanted to discuss. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. While we're on Netflix, I think you have a couple of sequels to share with us. Oh, yeah. Speaking of sequels, I forgot to mention, of course, this is part two. We already said it. Check out out part one. But you mentioned it. We are not giving spoilers today, people. So Correct. No spoilers. Feel free to just listen and let us... You know, we're here just to sort of guide you to maybe you will want to see this movie. 
Maybe you won't. You don't necessarily have to take our opinions on it, but we hope to give enough talking points and data for you to see whether it's a movie for you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Is this is this something you should spend your time on between an hour and a half and two and a half hours? The amounts of time. Or three hours if you want to talk Avatar The Way of Water as we did last oh, time. Oh, no. No. <laughs> no more. <laughs> well, you're right, Eisen. I have a string of Netflix movies to talk about, starting with a couple sequels, starting with movies we are very familiar with. And the first one, of course, excited to talk with you about it. It's Tall Girl 2. Jody, Mikey, what's what up? up? I know you said not to make a big deal out of this. But we, but we didn't listen. Wow, what are we celebrating? Keep walking, Ikea. I got the lead in the spring musical. <laughs> what? I got, a, I got a text dunk. You text my boyfriend? Seven, eight times a day. Max. That's weird. That's strange. I just want to say how happy I am to watch you face your fears. When the time comes for you to be standing on stage, you know deep down you'll choke. You finally got your dream. You think you can actually pull this off? All right, Tall Girl 2. (laughs) Do you remember Tall Girl 1, Iceland? I do. I remember the Apple Box. I remember enjoying the parents played by Steve Zahn and Angela Kinsey. My question is, did all our players come back? Yes, all our players came back. I thought we had a wonderful conversation with your friend Jane Webb back when we covered Tall Girl 1. But I think the consensus for us that it wasn't really maybe a film for us. It felt very preteenish and a little formulaic. I would say Tall Girl 2, The Player's Return. We pick up right where we left off, if you remember. Uh, the Griffin- Oh, wow. On the on the porch. So it does like a little recap, right? Like it picks up okay, on the great. porch, does like a fast forward voiceover recap, and then we're sort of in the next year. Almost, I think there's one girl who's missing and it's just like, oh, she moved. But not like a major player. Gotcha. I think like the main mean popular girl's not there. But everyone else is here. Ava Michelle still plays uh, Jody, who's the tall girl. Uh, Sabrina Carpenter is still in it. As I mentioned, Griffin Gluck. And so uh, that Jack character, Dunkelman. That's what his name was. I was like, I knew Dunkelman. Like a... Yeah. <laughs> so Dunkelman and Jody are still dating. And this is sort of... <sighs> I talked about this... When I did that, the full episode for To All the Boys 2. Not a lot of teen films have sequels. And as we talk about a lot here, it is kind of weird that there's so many films about teen romance. When, I'm just putting a number out there, 95% of teen romance doesn't work out in the long run. Right. Well, because we're talking about children. Yes. <laughs> and absolutely, do I know people who were high school sweethearts and then got married. Absolutely, I do. Yes, it absolutely happens. And also a lot of people end up um, having, you know, different experiences and meeting new people after high school. And so it's, you know, it is one route to go, but it seems to be a route that we romanticize a lot. Yes. And maybe, maybe that's because, you know, now we have access through internet social media stuff to humans all across the world. And, you know, in previous eras, maybe we were a little more landlocked, if you will. But yeah, we, we tend to, it's interesting to me that we are still romanticizing 
the longevity of teen romance. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Because when you think about it, the percentage of films or teen films that have a romance that seemingly lasts forever compared to percentage of teen romances that last forever is not... I would imagine not even close. I obviously haven't done a study on it, but I would imagine not even close. So I bring it up because it is hard to do a teen sequel because Happily Ever After is not usually Happily Ever After. So this film is sort of about the reality of what a teen relationship is like. Heightened. Oh, really? Yeah, but it's not like reality-based. It's still heightened in that way. I, to be honest with you, Aislinn, was a little uncomfortable watching the film at times because... I'll be honest, it makes me uncomfortable to see teenage relationship strife, real strife. Because I think back to, like, how immature I was in my teenage relationships. And I'm like, sure. oh, my God, no. Like, these human beings should not be, you know, <laughs> going through this. So it's about Dunkelman and Jody's relationship the next year and how they deal with that. Jody is uh, auditions for the school play. She gets the part, but she has a lot of doubts about it. Dunkelman is sort of, you know, he gets jealous at certain points. There's a new hot, tall guy, you know? I mean, we've seen this. <laughs> yes. And Dunkelman was always going to be insecure. That's yes. part of the problem. And why I think he does need other relationships to grow up in. A hundred percent. So, like, I'm watching thinking they probably should have stayed friends. It would have been better for them. Like, that would have been... I'll give you a spoiler on this one. Okay, spoiler for Tall Girl 2. If you really don't want to hear it, fast forward two minutes. Okay, Brian. <laughs> it's not the ending spoiler. I already said that there's relationship strife. Uh, of a different generation, Rachel and Ross went through this on Friends. Oh, no. Were they on a break? So, so Yes. Yeah, so, but we've seen it in a lot of shows, a lot of TV shows. When the two... People on, that everyone is rooting for to get together finally get together, and the show sort of doesn't know what to do with itself. Right? What do we do now? Yeah. So they absolutely. so they break them up again, like through series of misunderstandings and things. You know. Okay. So that ends up happening here, and sure, gotcha. People kiss other people. You know. Again, as teenagers are wont to do, and that's fine. I have to say this about the film. I think it's on par with Tall Girl 1. If you liked the first Tall Girl, you'll probably like this one. I think we're a little old f for the Tall Girl franchise. Probably, yep. But I could see other people um, enjoying it. There are characters from the first film who grow closer in the second film who weren't. I'm not going to spoil it, who weren't close in the first film. So sure. that's kind of fun. Um, I love the stuff with Sabrina Carpenter. I happen to think she's very talented. And um, remember, yeah, she played the too. beauty queen older sister. So Yeah, she, but the very short, like the very petite yeah. beauty queen yeah. sister. Yeah. She's in this one still as well. And her Good. plot is that, like, you know, she's moving out to L.A. Uh, or that's her plan to kind of break into... I think it's like the news or the weather or something along those lines. And she's okay. nervous about like that. Like she wants to be a host. Yes. She's nervous yeah. about leaving her family. So there are a lot of heartwarming moments. I don't think you or I would have sought out Tall Girl 2, 2 if we didn't do this no. podcast. It does not have good reviews. 63% uh, by the critics on Rotten Tomatoes. 28% by the audience. 1.4 on Letterboxd, which is not great. That Yeah, I see that. That's a bummer. I wanted to ask you, though, who directed it? So the director was Emily Ting. I wasn't too familiar with her, and I don't think she directed Tall Girl 1. Let me... 
I know I'm calling it Tall Girl 1. It's just Tall Girl. You get it. No, yeah, it's a different director. I do applaud Netflix when they make these formulaic projects. They often, and we'll see this at the end, will give the directorial chair to not just a woman, but a woman of color. And look, if you're going to make these movies anyway, give someone a shot, right? Yeah. Amen. I'm happy to see that. And it's something we'll see a few times in this episode of our recap, because I think that is one of the things that I'm one trend that I am seeing in this 2022 chunk of of films is that there are a a great handful of, of female directors for these movies. My only fear, Aislinn, is that like, I hope Hollywood in general is not like, oh, Emily Ting directed Tall Girl 2. Well, screw her because that movie's no, not good, I don't. You know? I don't think so. I think oh, they've helmed a, a Netflix movie. Great. Yes, but maybe I'm looking through it with rose-colored <laughs> uh, glasses there. So, Tall Girl Two again, preteens, fans of Tall Girl One, Tall Girls. That was my <laughs> people. I would recommend it to. Similar to Hello Goodbye and everything in between. I think it's a, a, a similar crowd who would enjoy it. Someone who just wants mm-hmm. the digestible Netflix teen content. Yeah. Cool. The next film we're going to talk about is another sequel to a film we've covered on AP. And we're, of course, talking about Enola Holmes Part 2. Perhaps I should explain. My name is Enola Holmes. I started a detective agency. Oh, well, but you're a girl. Tell me. Yes. Might your brother be free? My brother. Well, I have not a single case. Sherlock Slatis seems to be vexing him. Is it true you find lost people? Yes. My sister. She disappeared a week ago. At last, I would be a detective in my own right, worthy of the home's name. Dare I ask? So, Enola Holmes Part 2. I'm still going to, like, prop up Millie Bobby Brown for for the power she has. Produced this one as well. Was incredibly popular. I think they're going to just keep making Enola Holmes. Fantastic. It's a little strange in a sense. She's still a teenager. It's very okay. clear because she's she mentions her age. But it's definitely gone beyond. Because we, we saw a little bit of schooling... And the first one, homeschooling and, like, the finishing school. She's, like, a full-fledged young detective here. Like, she has her own detective agency, right? So. Fun. It's very fun. If you like the first one, it's a more than worthy sequel. So Sam Claffin does not return as Minecraft. Um, It's fine. Like, it's not like they replaced him. He just wasn't part of this story. It just seems like we're, it's going to be like Sherlock, right? Like, I know Enola Holmes is based on some uh, YA stuff. I don't know if this one was necessarily based on a, an official Enola Holmes mystery in that way. Mm. But uh, Tweaksbury's back, her love interest. Uh, we got a lot of a lot of Tweaksbury here. Oh. Like, that's pursued further. Is it not Tewksbury? Tewksbury, sorry. <laughs> I like Tweaksbury better. He seems like a Tweaksbury, but you're right. He does seem like a real Tweaksbury. <laughs> it is Tewksbury. We get a little of her mother, but this is more... The first one was definitely like more of an origin story. This is mm-hmm. truly a mystery, right? Um, okay. And I and I actually really loved 
uh, the mystery. It was about uh, women in a uh, factory. Uh, One of those, you know, uh, age of industrialism factories. Right, like a textile textile factory type thing. And a bunch of them are dying and Enola Holmes sort of has to figure out why. And it's, Mm. you know, ends up being like sort of a corporate uh, conspiracy behind it. I really like it. Oh, very cool. Thank you for pointing out the way that now, you know, if Enola is, has her own detective agency, it can be like serialized that way. So this is sort of, while it's the sequel, it's kind of the first of her true cases. And they could make any number of them. 100%. And, and like the only things that would tell you where we are in the story is the fact that, yes, she's opened up her own detective agency. So Sherlock is investigating a different mystery at the time. But these mysteries end up intersecting and they help each other. Mm. And that's great. And... Tewksbury is in the House of Lords, and he's like a a reformer, a reformer politician. He has suitors as well, and they sort of like keep bumping into each other. But she still has that like Anolaness. She's not like oh Tewksbury. She's like sort of trying to avoid him and pretend she doesn't have feelings for him and such. And and he, you know, it's fun. It's fun. That's all. I'll say. Fun. <laughs> um, it's sorry, and it's not a textile factory. I just checked my notes. It's a match factory. Oh, it's even scarier. What was the reaction to this? I mean, I read that it was very successful for them, that they planned to do more. Um, 94% by the critics on Rotten Tomatoes, 78% by the audience, 3.5 on Letterboxd. And for the nerds on Letterboxd, they gave it a 3.5. You know, bravo. Yeah, that's awesome. Harry Bradbeer was the director. I believe he directed the first one. So yeah, he did direct the first one. And uh, you could watch this one without watching the first one. Because, like you mentioned, you said it so perfectly, like Sherlock, it's serialized. And Millie Bobby Brown could make these for the rest of her life if she really wanted to. Totally. So people who would enjoy this are fans of Millie Bobby Brown, fans of Enola Holmes, certainly fans of the first film, as I said. I don't know if, like, jaded teenagers would enjoy it, but I think kids, preteens, families, and people in general. I think the only, or the only people who would not enjoy it are probably, like, the euphoria teens, I imagine, who are just, like... Sure, but even even Euphoria teens, you know, might want something to watch with their parents. Fair on a forced night at home. I don't know if the Euphoria teens have this, but <laughs> um, well, excellent. That sounds like a delightful film. Yeah, and and since we covered the first one, and we had a blast. This might be our palate cleanser between some serious subject matters, right? Next film, another sequel, not a Netflix sequel, but another sequel. Um, this one came out with a lot of fanfare near Halloween. And of course, talking about Hocus Pocus 2. I banish thee from Salem forever. They were right to fear thee. Magic has a way of uniting. Happy 16th birthday, child. I have a gift for my favorite customers. Legend has it, it's on the 16th birthday that a witch gets her powers. Lock up your children! Yes, Salem, we're back! Gilbert? Where did you get that candle? We have to get out of here, the witch will be here any second. Ah! The, the book is alive! He woke up? 
we intend to live past sunrise, we have to steal their souls. Whoa, 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 wait, can we talk about this? <laughs> we must fly! All right, Hocus Pocus 2, of course, a sequel to Hocus Pocus, Disney Plus. A lot of people were waiting for this one. It was one of the most streamed things on Disney Plus ever. So it was a pretty big deal. I mean, f yeah, fans clamored for it, right? I I know we covered on Contenders Hocus Pocus, and it is, I think, the film that we are most uh, most commonly understood to be wrong about, uh, because <laughs> neither Tobin or I enjoy it. But thinking about the aspect of High School Slumber Party that is more nostalgia-focused, I have to assume you all have done this film as well so on high school slumber party behind the curtain i live in a one bedroom apartment with my wife and my animals and it's not always easy to be fair on my wife me doing this podcast for fun right she is a healthcare worker she works day shifts and night shifts and i have to squeeze squeeze these recordings in often she is sequestered to the bedroom or somewhere else while i'm recording I understand how that how annoying that could be. So her one request for High School Slumber Party was to be on the Hocus Pocus episode. That Fabulous. We, we have covered it. Uh, my wife, Nicole, is our guest. She is a big Hocus Pocus fan. So we had her on Hocus Pocus 2 as well. So that was episode 314 on High School Slumber Party. So you can really see how we felt about it. I was glad to have Nicole, honestly, because... Again, like I said, she's a big fan of the first one. And she gave a really realistic take on the film. So how can I put it? Great having the witches back. And that's a song in the film, and I didn't mean to do that. But it's great having uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, Catherine yeah. Najimi, and Bette, Bette Midler back. They looked, like, fantastic back in the Hocus Pocus costuming and just in singing. The garb. The garb, Yes. Um, loved that the story was very inclusive and there was really like no romantic story. It was just a story of, of young women and friendship and stuff like that. Nicole felt, and look, I was never a huge fan of the original. I appreciate it more now, but, but Nicole felt like it, it's a worthy sequel, but it's not like going to blow you out of the water. Um, I think- sure. Again, a lot of people liked it, but not loved it. Yeah. It didn't um, betray the original or anything like that. Um, the only people to really come back are the witches and some other ancillary characters. Like the main kids didn't come back. And I think people were disappointed to see that. They okay. you know, wanted a cameo here or there. Like if you look at the original reactions, people were like, this is awesome. But as time has gone by, those scores have gone down. It's kind of like Halloween candy. Right? Mm. Where, you know, October 25th, that mini Kit Kat or, or mini Snickers is exactly what you want. But you go back January 7th and that Snickers is going to be a little bit stale. <laughs> I think you're hitting a really important note here, Iceland, when it comes to Hocus Pocus. It's like a Christmas film in a sense. Christmas films, Christmas music, right? Right. Feels good when you're in the mood in that season. But it's not necessarily great all the time. And if you're out there, you're like, oh, Christmas music is awesome. And that's that's what you want to say right now. I'll put it this way. Totally. like, Think about the genres you listen to normally. Yeah. And think about the genres you theoretically listen to if you listen to Christmas music. They're not the same, Seasonally. right? 
Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I see. This is a seasonal treat. And it will be interesting to see now because it is Disney Plus and it will be on Disney Plus, I'm assuming forever, what it looks like next year. Are they going to run ads for it again? Are they going to, you know, is it going to be, I'm thinking of like the channel Freeform that often does, you know, their uh, 30, 31 nights of Halloween and, and that kind of stuff. Is the Hocus Pocus dyad going to be now part of our pop culture Halloween moving forward? I'm so glad you you bring that up, Island, because it's a question I've been asking myself. Does that even exist anymore? Can it exist? Hocus Pocus was not a hit when it came out. It gained traction because it was running on TV around Halloween time, like a lot of Christmas movies. There are plenty of Christmas movies that were bombs when they came out that people now have nostalgic sure. feelings for because they, again, run them during Christmas and it reminds mm-hmm. you of the time and the season. Something to also to say about Hocus Pocus and the next one we're going to talk about. There are people who love Halloween and love Halloween films, but don't love horror films. And uh, Freeform. Very it, true. Exactly. That, that whatever. What did you say? It's like 31 Nights of Halloween or whatever. Yeah. That's like perfect for that milieu of like, I don't want to see someone's head being chopped off, but I want to see spooky things. You know, yeah, like... I want spooky ooky. I want, I want the monster mesh folks you know yeah exactly so those are the fans of hocus pocus now and i think those are the fans of hocus pocus too my only trepidation with this is and i don't know if they'll change the way streaming services work but you and i grew up in an era without streaming services when television was the medium for these things and what was on was on so if you wanted to watch a movie you could either you know get your dvd vhs whatever or you could check out what's on Freeform, theoretically. Now you sort of have to seek this stuff out on right. streaming services. Will, will movies, like Halloween movies, Christmas movies like this, will they be able to just, you know, permeate the culture because they're yeah. just airing anymore? Or I don't know. And I don't know. Maybe I mean, I, I think we are per- very particular in this as um, older millennials and likely cord cutters. So a couple of things. I think a lot of people do still have cable. And so... They are subjected to regular commercials. This is Disney Plus exclusive. So right. this will never air on television that way. So Very true. And Disney, because I've watched some Disney Plus uh, the last few weeks in preparation for this. <laughs> Disney Plus runs their own ads. Good point. You know? So, so even if... So I, um, cable being one route where you're going to get commercials for things, I am sure... I don't know this to be true, but I am sure cable channels that are like Disney affiliates were advertising this as an incentive to get Disney Plus. You know what I mean? Very good point. I didn't even think about that. And then I am also frugal is the nice way of putting (laughs) it. I, I have maintained my graduate student mindset at past graduate school. So there are a couple of services where I pay enough to get the service, but not enough to get it without commercial. So for example, Peacock is one of those. So I see ads for all kinds of crap that I'm not going to watch because I'm not going to pay the extra $5 a month. So I think you're right in that it's not the same as it was for us. And I do think 
you know, in our capitalist society, there's still going to be ways it, in which they advertise and incentivize folks into getting a subscription to be able to watch this and other things, not just this, but you know. Yeah, those are really good points. And the, the fact that it was so successful this year, there also might be another film that Disney puts out next year for Halloween that you're right, like they're tagging along. Oh, also watch Hocus Pocus 2, like that after thing they do. I don't know what it's called. I've also heard talk that a lot of streaming services have debated sort of running a channel when you log on. Like if I were to log on Disney Plus, they're also they would have like theoretically a box in the corner of like what we're running. So that might be something too. I'm really talking about it so much because of the next film, but before we get there, I want to mention that this is directed by Ann Fletcher. Kenny Ortega directed the original, so new person. And just for those of you keeping score at home, Rotten Tomatoes, 64%, 50%. Like I said, that has gone down considerably. Still a three on Letterboxd, which I found interesting. And it is what it is there, right? If you like the first one, if you love the first one, you'll probably like this one. And that's the best way I can put it. But the next film was, I, I guess, Netflix's sort of answer to Hocus Pocus. And it was called The Curse of Bridge Hollow. Look, Sid, I know you're going to miss Brooklyn. Give Bridge Hollow a chance. Small towns can be full of surprises. Check out those zombies. As you can see, everybody around here kind of goes crazy around Halloween. Just think it's kind of silly. I mean, do you still believe in Santa Claus? <laughs> Why? What have you heard? Is she okay? Let's not invite those neighbors over for dinner. So we've got plans for tonight. My dad's a science teacher. <laughs> so he doesn't really do Halloween. Uh, let me guess. Power Rangers. Madonna. Puerto Rican Prince. You are so old. There once lived a wicked man named Stingy Jack. He died in your house. Hello. So I might live in a haunted house? This wish has got a lot cooler. So this film was directed by Jeff Wadlow. Are you familiar with this one, Island? Did you get ads for this one? I am not. I saw it on the list and I saw, I looked up to see who was in it and there are some fun people in it, but I w- am not familiar with it. What, what did you think? How, how did this, how did this go for you? This is a film that slides exactly in the genre we're talking about of like Halloween, but not horror. Like, if this was just a film that came out in the theaters, it would be on Freeform's uh, 31 Nights of Halloween. Perfect. I mean, and I like the premise. The whole point of the film is that uh, a family moves into a town that takes Halloween super seriously. They're moving from Brooklyn, so more of an urban environment, to a small town environment. And they don't really, you know take or the especially the father who's played by Marlon Wayne's like really doesn't take Halloween that seriously. There's a curse, the curse of Bridge Hollow, the town's Bridge Hollow, and the curse basically makes all the Halloween de- decorations in town come to life. So good premise, wow, right? Wow, that is kind of like a, a, a one of the Halloween episodes of Buffy. Oh yeah. <laughs> back in the day, when it was when all the costumes nice came true, but you know, different but similar. No, exactly. So the director was Jeff Wadlow. Not good reviews. 46% by the critics, 55% by the audience on Rotten Tomatoes, 2.7 on Letterboxd. But it almost didn't matter. This exactly, to me, screams like a hocus pocus of today, right? Like maybe it's a movie that 
didn't gain a lot of traction in 2022, but over the years, because it, just because it is a Halloween movie, and it might be something that Netflix continues to run this, uh, maybe they'll have Halloween marathons or Halloween, what do you call that, like the selections they have? Like, I don't know, those bars that you scroll through where they, they recommend movies for you, right? Where you're like, it's Halloween. Yeah, the, just... uh, something to add to the Halloween algorithm. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Couldn't have put it better. So it's a fun movie. It's a wacky movie. I thought Priya Ferguson, um, who was the, I guess, our lead. She's like a freshman um, who, they literally move in like the day before Halloween or Halloween night. So this is all like a movie that takes place pretty quickly. I thought she was really, really great. Uh, I loved just like, again, the fun of the town, seeing uh, Rob Riggle plays like a funny neighbor, right? Would I seek this movie out and watch it normally myself? Probably not, but I think it's worthy of a fun Halloween watch. Maybe when you're watching three or four films, like one uh, on High School Slumber Party, when we recommend films with other films, this feels like one of those films. Like, oh, if you're watching Hocus Pocus two, watch The Curse of Bridge Hollow. One thing I'll add: uh, Oh, Kelly Rowland, former Destiny's Child singer, is in the film as Indeed. well. Uh, one thing I'll add: I, I want to sal- just salute it for having a family of color be the lead family here. I think that's really cool. You know, growing up, I did not see that. So it, it's awesome to see. And Marlon Wayans, I think, is funny in it. I mean, he's a good screamer, you know? He's a good, <laughs> like a funny screamer. Like, ah, you know. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so again, um, if you like silly kids Halloween movies, watch The Curse of Bridge Hollow. This is not changing the world here, though. You know, another digestible Netflix film. I would say this one skews more to kids and families. Thanks. So, Aislinn, I think you have another Netflix film you want to talk about, right? I do. I do. Coming off the digestible. This is digestible, but it is a big meal. So I watched (laughs) The School for Good and Evil. Every so often, a very lucky candidate from the outside is selected for admission to this hallowed institution. It's happening. This is it! This is real! We've been expecting you. The School for Good and Evil, where the true story behind every great fairy tale begins. The School for Good trains the heroes. The school for evil, the villains. You're trying to tell me that Snow White and Cinderella and Jack and the Beanstalk were real? Our graduates live the very real events, which become the stories. That change the world. So yeah, this is based on YA. This is quite grand, as you could... um, tell from the trailer one just thing i think is just random funny is that the two main characters the two young women in the in the film one of them is sophie one of them is agatha but in real life they're both named sophia oh boy that was funny Um, (laughs) that's confusing right but so so this is a, a big movie right there's a there's special effects there's a star-studded supporting cast. You know, it's about these these two young women, 
But you've got voiceover from Kate Blanchett. You've got Rachel Bloom, Charlize Theron, Patti Lapone, Carrie Washington, Michelle Yao, Lawrence Fishburne, Rob Delaney. Like, there's just a wow. ton of people. And if you like fantasy, I don't know if that's the right word, stuff, like the, you know, the premise as the trailer told us was that there is a school where that trains young people for fairy tales, right? So all of the fairy tales we have, the characters came from the school and you were trained to be, um, you know, good or evil, the Everest and the Nevers. Oh, and then, you know, suddenly we have a couple of some some misfits, uh, some young people that are questioning the the setup and the roles, et cetera. And so, you know, chaos ensues. Again, I said this already, I think, but based on YA. So I I get the feeling that this is one of those where there are a ton of details and a ton of characters that maybe folks really love. And so I could feel watching it, they were trying to fit as much in, you know, as there there was, it was just kind of a lot and it was two and a half hours long. Um, the director here is, is Paul Feig. So Ghostbusters, I mean, The Office. Bridesmaids. Bridesmaids, thank you. Always wearing a suit. Uh, I enjoy him. I, I was a little bit surprised just because I hadn't, I don't think of him in a fantasy adventure kind of place but it, it was beautiful to look at and and there certainly were a lot of of fun people in it i imagine if you had read the book you would have interest in this i don't know and i should have looked it up to see if fans of the book were also fans of the movie but you know rotten tomatoes did not give it a lot they got 38 percent on critics 66 audience and then Letterbox was 2.8. Yeah, not So great. almost to that three, but not quite. And just based on kind of that I had to look for it on Netflix, it seems like it didn't maybe hit in the way that folks were hoping it would. Yeah, because you're right. This seemed huge, right? Like in terms of the effort that it must have taken to make yeah. this film. When people talk to me about, like, I don't know if Netflix is going to survive because they spend a lot of money on things that when they don't do well, they just sort of bury. This is one of those, like, examples that they probably could cite. Because I remember them advertising it, but it seems like it came and went, right? Like, it might have been two days that they pushed this out. And with a cast like this, and it, it could not have been cheap if it looks like this, right? Exactly. Two and a half hours is long. Did it feel like it dragged to you or or was it like a fun ride? I don't know. Oh, that's hard. I mean, I think some, uh, I I enjoyed watching it. Like there's a, there's a lot to look at for sure. Um, Costuming and and makeup and stuff is really great. It it just, it just felt like a lot. And it, um, having not read the book, it was like, okay, and this and that, and what background do I need to know? It just seemed like, you know, they were putting 10 pounds of fairy tales into a five pound bag. We see this. I don't know what this genre is called, but like, I don't know, like sort of like Wicked, you know, where like we go back to an old t- tale. Yeah, I think I think fantasy. Fantasy, but like. Well, and this is not the only fairy tale adjacent film that I will cover. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. I can't wait for that. Um, 
So who would you recommend this film to? I'm actually very curious about this one. Certainly. People who read the book, okay. 100%. And then I do think, you know, it has something that I really liked about it is something that I like about Wicked, the musical, and Frozen, the animated, um, in that the – while in in both – all three cases, there are romantic motivations for things, a female friendship is at the core and and important aspects hinge on – female friendship in a way that I think is profound and important for us to show and have in our stories. I think female friendship is super powerful. And for a long time, when we only were telling stories sort of told through a male lens or, or with um, male directors and male writers, etc., like we weren't highlighting that in this in as much as we could. And it's great to have another example where you have the two main characters of both young women. They have different goals. They have different motivation. There is some conflict, but also their friendship transcends whatever the bullshit is that's going on. And I think that's important. Awesome. That, that's cool. I turned it around there at the end, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sold me. <laughs> So yeah, it definitely it's an epic. So if you're in the mood for an epic, do it. If you've if you've read the book books and you're interested, great. But I'm not running around telling everyone they have to sit down and spend their afternoon watching it. I'll say this: the only other note I had, like just again, I didn't see it, but costuming looked great as well. Yeah, absolutely. Co- yeah, costuming, makeup, all the yeah, it was it was beautiful to look at. It, it definitely like the world building part. I think was lovely. Awesome. Going from giant to a small and intimate story, I also watched Crush on Hulu. I need to be on my A game to get into Cal Arts. Through your medium of choice, show us your happiest moment. No pressure, though. Paige! Come on, no edibles before school. We've talked about this. That would be my best friend, Dylan. He's kind of like my platonic soulmate. You think that your crush on Gabriella Campos is Cal Arts worthy? This semester I'm gonna make my move. Oh yeah? Name one time that you've made a move. Oh. Is she in slow motion again? Yeah. Music playing in the background? Mm-hmm. You are a lost cause. It's time for you to move on. There are plenty of other queer options for you to date. Like who? What about Chantel? Hell no. She's tried to put a love spell on me at least six times. Wait, duh. What about AJ? Why would I ever do that? That's Gabby's sister. Hey, what about Amy? Gateway gay. She's fingered every girl in the school. So what? I'm sure she's washed her hands. Hey. (laughs) Are you coming out today? I've actually, I've been out for a really long time. I'm extremely gay. I was actually talking about track tryouts. Right. Maybe I'll see you later. So long. Here's another straight to streaming uh, movie directed by a female director, Sammy Cohen. I really, I really liked this. I found this to be charming. And we've seen this in a few other places. It is a romantic comedy. Um, There is a, a young person who is very focused on their application to a specific school, which we see a lot, but we're going to forgive that. And the main romantic story arc is a young queer woman. And that's certainly something that is um, 
they're not shying away from. Like, what do I want to say? It's not a coming out story because she's she's out. She's been out. And there are a couple of folks within, like, teachers and things within the school that will make a comment of, like, I know most of you are are gay or I know most of you are, you know, uh, queer. They sort of make a comment, comments about it, not in a derogatory way, but in a, like, matter of fact way. Oh, cool. So I, I like that where it's um, – Yes, it is part of the story, but it's not – it's just an aspect of the character's identity, and it's not what the focal point of the whole thing is. We have, um, like we've seen in other AP films, we have um, a fantastic p- parent figure. Megan Mullally is so funny in this. Good. Uh, she's a nurse that is trying to be so sex positive. <laughs> and Perfect. and the um, it reminds me a little bit of the relationship like the John Corbett in to all the girls. Okay, you know how he tries he tries to be matter of fact. He tries to be you know talk about um, these things and and in both cases the daughters are like I've got other things to deal with. Thank you. Let's move on. And in this case, there's a whole shelf of like various contraception and like sexual aids. The and toys that the mom has continued to give her, and she just like puts it on the same shelf. <laughs> There's a bit of a love triangle that is mildly uncomfortable because it involves sisters, <laughs> but not in a not in like a not in a gross male gazy way, but just yeah. There's a little bit of a love triangle. Wait, uh, just to be clear, the sisters aren't into each other. No. Okay. No, okay. Okay. But, okay. I just just okay. Just wanted to. Yes, but so. Main character has a crush on one young woman and then that young woman's sister ends up to have, be someone that they have more in common with. Gotcha. And that's that's in the trailer. We learned that from the trailer. So Rowan Blanchard but plays our protagonist and um, she's from Girl Meets World. Yeah. So she has, I think, a, a fan base that has grown up with her a little bit. So I feel like that works. And then... The other uh, notable young cast member I wanted to shout out was, and I, I am going to do my best here, Ali'i Cravalo, who played Moana. Oh, cool. Who, yeah, who was, I think, 16 or 17 when, when um, she was the voice of Moana. They're great together. I think they have sincere chemistry. Putting this right after School for Good and Evil is is funny because it is such a small story compared to that like giant epic. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's done well. I think they did it well. Of all the ones that I have talked about so far today, this is the one that I would say, yeah, Brian, this is this is worth an extra watch. I think I would watch this again before I would watch Hello Goodbye and certainly more before I would watch uh, School for Good and Evil again. And I like to, I mean, Hulu coming out. I think uh, I've been a fan of some of Hulu's original programming in series in the past. And so I like to see them continue to highlight interesting and, and different stories that we haven't seen. The Rotten Tomatoes score critics 77% and audience 82. Great. So I'm not alone in my uh, affection for this fun teen. Um, it's one where a little bit like, they talk, it's kind of almost overwritten. You know, like the teens are kind of so aware and 
and clever and spot on, but in a way that made me laugh. Not in a way that was like, oh, people don't talk this way. I don't yeah, know. I kind of like that, though. Uh, this is actually a film yeah. that was on my radar. I haven't seen it, but um, if I was going to make a short list for AP, this would definitely be on it as well. So I'm glad you liked it. And I can't wait to talk Agreed. about it on the pod. Like It, it sounds like yeah. something that's really up our alley. And I know we do like to cover like the super serious stuff, but like... We also love the rom-coms as well when they're done right. And this seems like absolutely like something that's, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about. So, yeah, I would definitely recommend it for folks that are, I think, just looking for a coming of age rom-com. Certainly, if you are looking for an LGBTQ story, you know, this this fits for that as well. And then a lot of the main young people are people of color or from, you know, uh, traditionally marginalized communities. And so I think that's another aspect that it's great to see more representation in our teen films. I give it a thumbs up. (laughs) Okay, so the next film we're going to talk about, I hadn't heard of this one, kind of had to dig it up, but Paramount Plus is on the come up. It's not just a song, it's a statement. Once upon a time, there was a girl named Bree. That's me. In this fairy tale, my father was once a king. Now I'm chasing his dream. The greatest rapper Garden Heights had ever seen. Hey, yo, I'll battle anybody right now. Who won it? I take it. Morning, baby. Mom got clean three years ago, doing her best not to let it show. Ring legend in the making. You know people would kill for a spot like this? I'm Pooh's my manager. You heard about infamous moves? Seven figures straight up front. You win this battle? Sky's the limit, baby girl. Y'all know what time it is. Let's get this started. Can't believe I froze. So Paramount Plus actually made a pretty good effort this year when it came to their teen films. This is like, I, I would say, I don't know when Paramount Plus... Or sorry, last year. I don't know when Paramount Plus debuted, but I know 2022. Well, it was CBS All Access and it was a couple other stuff and they merged. Paramount Plus definitely said, we're going to make some teen films this year. And if they stick, they stick. This is one of them. I wish they put a little bit more promotion into it. So this one's directed by Sanai Lathan, the actor. Yes, Love and Basketball. Love and Basketball, teen film we haven't covered yet on High School Slumber Party. What a surprise this film was, and for a couple reasons, right? First, yes, we get a lot of musical films, a lot of a good amount of musical teen films, but not a lot of musical hip hop teen films. And this isn't like a musical in a sense where yeah, that's a great point. We're not breaking out into song, but it's about a, a young woman who wants to be, uh, you know, a hip hop artist. She comes from a you know a very like marginalized community where she lives. I believe it's in Mississippi. And, you know, that's almost a singular goal. She goes to like these rap battles and she does an awesome job. So it is based on a YA novel actually by Angie Thomas. Angie Thomas is, I think it's really famous for writing uh, The Hate You Give, which was made into a popular uh, teen film as well. Um, so Nye Lathan also plays like the mother character in this. So um, from what I read, she read the book and she really wanted to direct this film. And I, first of all, I think she does an amazing job with the direction. So people I want to point out in the film, 
Jamila Gray, Jamila C. Gray, sorry, plays Brie, who, who's like the young woman who wants to be a rapper. In the film, her father was a famous, very famous and influential rapper, but who died young. He, he was killed young, so she never knew him. And her mother, despite, again, despite him being a famous rapper, her mother sort of, after the death of her father, sort of spun out of control a little bit, had some drug problems, and... She really, like, one of her main motivations is getting, you know, her, her and her mother out of that community. Her manager slash aunt is played by Divine Joy Randolph. Are you familiar with her? I'm not. I think she's one of the most talented people in Hollywood today. I first recognized her in, a, there was a TV show adaptation for, on Hulu, actually, for High Fidelity with um, Zoe Kravitz. It only lasted one oh, season. Oh, yes. But she was like the shining star of that show. Oh, okay. She's she's great in this as well. The other kids are great. There's also like an LG, sort of a surprise LGBTQ storyline going on. We get Method Man in the film. I'm not terribly familiar with Little Yachty, but people tell me that he's a big deal. He's in the film as well. Again, doing this podcast and seeing the same story over and over again, it's nice to see stories that are similar but from different perspectives and different communities a different lens absolutely love to see it and i definitely having heard you talk about this um whether we cover it in long form or not it's definitely what i'm going to um check out for sure the other thing i'll say like there is some violence so if that's like a trigger for you i mean like gun violence and such but one note i want to say that i really love directorially I'm not always a fan of voiceover, but occasionally there's voiceover, but it's her coming up with rhymes and like oh, r- cool. rhyming things. So it's a little like, again, this like hip hop voiceover that I really haven't seen before. So I thought that was really cool, um, really fun. Again, I would recommend this to teens who like, not just hip hop, but teens who like music, teen, people who, you know, love the process of music, like the, the songwriting and sort of what it takes to become an artist potentially. There's a lot of struggle in the movie, but dare I say it's fun as well. So I'm giving my thumbs up definitely to On The Come Up here. And again, I just wish this one was promoted a little bit better. Three Months, as we talked about in the last episode, was another Paramount Plus film. Almost, I'm talking about that movie to people. No one knows it as well. So Paramount Plus, do a better job of promoting your teen films. That's all I'll say. You heard it here first, Paramount Plus. <laughs> so how is this received? Oh, thank you for reminding me. Uh, 74% by the critics on Rotten Tomatoes, 72% by the audience, three on Letterboxd, I would say pretty good scores. Not a That's lot of solid reviews, across though, the board. Solid, yeah. exactly. So again, shout out to Sin- Sinai Lathan. I loved what she did here. So the next film is actually another sequel that we're going to talk about, and that's Hollywood Stargirl. Hello, LA! First up, we've got Stargirl. Hi, I'm new to California. I usually sing with a ukulele, but here's to trying new things. I was lying in my room and the news came on TV. I guess I don't think we'd be moving again so quickly. I thought you liked going on adventures. Going on adventures is one thing, but having your whole life be an adventure is another. But life is an adventure. Love and mercy. I love you singing. Thank you. I'm Evan. I'm Sargo. Cool name. 
What's going on out here, Evan? She's our new neighbor. Hi. <laughs> okay. I thought it sounded familiar. Yeah, so Stargirl was a film on Disney+. Plus. I think I covered it in my first review. It is based on apparently a very popular uh, YA novel just called Stargirl. Hollywood Stargirl is not based on the sequel to that novel. They went in a different direction with it, and I'm so glad they did. So I actually really liked the first Stargirl film. It's definitely more for, for the younger crowd. So this is one that debuted in the heart of Pandemic 2020 on Disney+. Plus. I didn't think it was popular because I hadn't heard anyone talk about it, but apparently it was a, one of those sleeper hits for Disney+. Plus. So they uh, greenlit a second movie. If I said it on the episode or I didn't, what I liked about Stargirl was the, again, uh, I would say wonderful performance by Grace Vanderwall. She's actually a former, or maybe current, I'm not sure, like a YouTube star who would just like cover songs, play the ukulele. She got really popular on that, got cast in this film. So it is a musical, sort of a jukebox musical. There's some original stuff as well. In the first film, Eyes on them, not even kidding. There were points where like I was like, is Stargirl real? She's a like, lovely young girl, but it's told from the point of view of a young man who Stargirl moves to her town and sort of in like Amelie-like fashion brightens up his day, brightens up the whole town, and leaves. So there was so much charm in the movie, but I was like, that's kind of does didn't feel very 2020 at the time. Stargirl 2 is completely her name is Stargirl, by the way. Uh, it's completely Stargirl's story. It picks up right where the first film let off. And so you realize, yes, she's a real character. And it's all about her journey, her feelings. In the first Stargirl, we don't even really see her family. She's like, again, almost a ghost. This, uh, her mother is played by the wonderful Judy Greer, who we learn that the reason she moves from town to town is that her mother is a, a costume designer. So she gets a job in L.A., like it's her big break. So she's moved Stargirl out of this town in New Mexico that she really kind of just started to get accustomed to and just started to make friends. And she moves to L.A. That's why it's called Hollywood Stargirl. You know, meets a boy. Uma Thurman's in the film. Um, and she plays like this singer-songwriter that her, her mom knew. And so Stargirl knows by default, but like never, you know, really made it big, I guess. They form a bond there. Cute little film. Cute little digestible film. The fact that they saw a hit, a flawed hit, and they said, let's take a sequel and give agency to the title right, character. and center it on that. Absolutely. Bravo. And she actually like does a really adult thing, similar to what we're talking about with other sequels. Like Instead of it being about like the relationship with theoretically that character, uh, the, the boyfriend, for lack of a better word, from the first film... She's in a new city, and she cites that relationship a couple times. Her her new love interest is like, so, you know, have you had a boyfriend? And she's like, yeah, I did, but, you know, I, I forgot the exact line, but it was like, it was important that he move on and I move on. Like, in, in more kid language, I'm like, yeah, very grown up. Yeah, grown up teen it. conversation, and it's sort of like a throwaway line, but I'm glad they acknowledged it, but also, like, moved on a bit, so... I think I'm so high on this one because, to me, it was a teen sequel done properly that elevates the material of the first one. Does that make sense? I love it. Yeah. And I have seen this movie. <laughs> You've seen Hollywood Stargirl? 
I have. I so I can um, attest to the attraction for preteens. My third grade age niece oh, turned nice. this movie on with me in the room, <laughs> and I didn't. I didn't know it was a sequel. <laughs> I just thought I wasn't paying enough attention. <laughs> That's funny. So if we were to ever cover a movie like this, we would have to do both of them because, like, again, I think I give, I'm give i giving it its roses because of more of the studies of sequels of teen films, right? It is definitely, definitely something I would not recommend to the Euphoria teens or, frankly, probably an adult. But, <laughs> but it is a lovely kids movie where people have fun and honestly like i said do address some adult adult questions i don't know though if it's a standalone film okay you know what i mean i think it does sort of need that first film but maybe i'm just saying that because then because i thought it elevated that film but once again (laughs) props to judy greer as well grace vanderwall always uh julia hart she directed the first one too oh great so because that's not typically the case. No. As you've cited a few times here. And from what I read, that like it was a surprise, like I said, uh, Stargirl was a surprise hit. And then Julia Hart really took the reins of Stargirl too. Um, mm-hmm. She had, sorry, Hollywood Stargirl. She had wrote part of the screenplay of the first one. She co-wrote the screenplay for Hollywood Stargirl. So I'm, I'm very curious to see what other films Julia Hart has up her sleeve. Remember, I'm I'm not saying I want her to go to the Marvel genre, but you you make hits for Disney, you're probably going to get more jobs, and I think that's awesome. Amen. Yeah. Critics loved this one, hundred percent by Rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. Now again, not a lot of critics, but I think they know who it's for, right? Like I'm not recommending this movie to Joey Lewandowski, you know. Uh, <laughs> Audience, 71%. Three on Letterboxd. That's more where I would put it, right? Give me a good ukulele, and and I'm I'm in as well. So (laughs) my recommendation, firmly to preteens and kids, uh, if if you want like a teen film, (laughs) this one's for you. Well, I think that is the case, though. And, and, you know, speaking of my niece in particular, but, but also thinking about when I was a kid and now, obviously, you know, terribly dating myself here, but we... As kids, we watched Saved by the Bell after school. Yeah. Like, it wasn't when it was new necessarily, but, like, it was on constantly. We were watching kids in high school. I wanted to be watching 90210, but my um, mother did not think it was age appropriate. Um, but so there is that that preteen where you're looking to teen content because that's what's coming next. And so I think this is a great example of something that, that absolutely a a tween or kiddo could watch to look at the adventures of a teen that doesn't land you in Euphoria Town. Yeah, uh, like similar, I think, to Enola Holmes. Obviously, very different movies. Sure, great but, point. Yeah, but, but similar on that front. And um, I know Grace Vanderwall, Star Girl, is like a really in demand name right now. What movie did I read that she was? In production, and I'm like, wow, good for her. Um, and she's a true, she's 18, so like, this is truly the start. She of her got career. nothing but time. Oh, it's Megalopolis. We were talking about that on my uh, Francis Ford Coppola podcast, Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar, and Francis Ford Coppola has casted her in, in his next film. So 
that's that's a big jump, but <laughs> well, well, I'm excited to see well that obviously and her and that. So again, oh, I also wanted to bring up Judd Hirsch, one of my favorite comedy actors from the the TV show Taxi and other things, but. Um, he it plays like an older, like an older neighbor, yeah, yeah, like yeah, like an older neighbor. In the first film, it's Stargirl is like this, this sun and like S U N. Every room she walks in, she brightens, right? Right. There's a presence rather than a person. Yes, and in Hollywood, Stargirl, she's still that way. But mm-hmm. you see the method to the madness, and you see she has doubts and fears and. Humanity, gotcha. you know. Um, okay, that's enough on Hollywood Star Girl. No, you really loved it. That's fun. You know, when you, when you watch a lot of sad stuff and a lot of like, you, you know, depressing things, it's fun to have a poppy musical. Hey, I'm I'm with you, and I've got a couple of musicals back to back here for you. Let me tell you about a little something called Sneakerella. <laughs> Once upon a pair of sneakers, there lived a boy who was full of creativity. You believe that sneakers are a window to the soul. If you put enough of yourself into a design, it's gonna hit. Once I slip on that sneaker, it's my story. But possibility and opportunity can feel as far away as a castle in the clouds. Royalty. Designed for the king brand? That's my dream. We need to dominate SneakerCon. We made something big. We need a new voice. Someone fresh. Find a designer that speaks to you, tells a story. We'll try it out. Now we just gotta find him. You are very talented. I just scribble in my notebook. I'm a stock boy. I think I hear your stepfather talking. This is the real world! Not some doodle or some <laughs> nonsense you're dreaming about. And clean that up too, Al. He held tight to his dreams, but would this kingdom give him a chance? Boom! The king's charity gala. Yeah, design some sick kicks. There's not enough time for that. Come on, you've got sneakers to make. This is a Disney Plus movie, and as you may have guessed, it is a take on the you know classic fairy tale, folk tale, Cinderella, and. I absolutely jumped at the chance to watch this one because my mom is a retired elementary school teacher and she, over the course of her career, built this incredible like learning unit all about the Cinderella story. Oh, cool. And she collected different Cinderella um, stories from different cultures, from different time periods, differently themed and and this is one that swaps gender a little bit, right? So our main character is L, is a young man who uh, works in his mother's shoe store. It does the gender swap. Our you know main character is L, a young man, and the glass slipper is a a sneaker, right? And so it, it plays on. And I'm not going to get the words right because I'm not in this community, but like sneakerheads, right? Like there are people that wait for designer shoes to come out and there are people who collect sneakers, right? This is something I've heard I don't know anything about. Neither do Um, I, but I've heard this (laughs) as well. But so I I think it's there's some fun moments of like, you know, they're in Queens, for example. So they're like there's still the fantasy elements or they're signposts of fairy tale things 
so it's kind of half in the real world in that sense, right? It's a real place. It's real, like shoes are a thing, but it's also a musical. So it's, it's hyper realism. And for instance, instead of like a pumpkin turning into a carriage, it's this old, like beat up car that the, um, you know, fairy godmother character kind of magically pulls the tarp off of, and it's this gorgeous old school convertible. And so Elle is the main character and Prince is actually a, you know, princess. Her dad is the, in charge of this sneaker empire. Oh. So there is an art, like the artistic piece of the, of the shoes. Um, I also love that it has a best friendship. Nice. So Elle has a best friend, um, I believe Sammy is her name, that kind of helps and, and also other elements of his community help him to navigate this. So it's a little bit wild. Um, and like I said, it's a musical. So there's, you know, it's not pure realistic. Disney Plus, it's it's an adventure. The director was Elizabeth Allen Rosenbaum. Mm. So love to have a, a female director of a musical. Uh, the critics really liked this. 92% wow. on uh, Rotten Tomatoes by the critics. And I don't know how, I don't know what that pool was. Audience, 48%. And I read one quote that was like, basically saying, it's okay, but it it knows what it is and that makes it good. It's not trying to be something else. Mm. And I think that's something that often the Disney Plus lane gets gets right. And I think it gets it right in, in the other Disney Plus movie I'm going to talk about. So like it it knows it's a little bit, magical it knows it's a little bit not dorky but like winky because it's based on a fairy tale the main cast member or the main protagonist l is played by chosen jacobs who is in both the it the recent it movies oh yeah yeah, yeah. that was kind of the main that's our notable cast member that that's our sneaker l that's l yeah (laughs) um so if you're into musicals if you're into you know, fairy tale and like gender swapping fairy tales. I, I think maybe the School for Good and Evil and the Sneakerella Venn diagram might overlap nice. a little bit for folks. Great. That sounds really, really fun, Aislinn. It's silly fun. And I have one more silly fun one. Another Disney Plus somewhat musical that I uh, watched is called Better Nate Than Ever. Bro? It's like 7 a.m. Today's the day, Mom. They're posting the cast list for the school play today. Get it? Like it's a curtain? Tough crowd. I've got some breaking news. It's an open audition. They're making Lilo and Stitch a Broadway musical. Where would we even sleep? What about your aunt? The Broadway actress. You were the only toddler whose first word was me. Let's cast a musical. So quickly, Aislinn, um... I see in your notes that he's 13. Teenager. Yes, he's te- a seventh grader. Technically not high school, but we do we we will make exceptions if you would like to make an exception here. That's what I say when I've done these in the past. Yeah. If the movie is worth talking about, great. But if you're ever watching one where it's like, oh, he's 13 and I kind of hate this movie, we'll eliminate it. So did you like this movie enough to talk about it? Sure. Yeah. I think it's a it's an adventure. I'm, also, I'm again, thinking about like more of a preteen, more of a tween gotcha. kind of thing. So it's um, a very theatrical 
kid who has always wanted to be a star, but has not kind of had the opportunity in his little town. And so he and a best friend find a way to get to New York for an open casting for in this adaptation, it's a Lilo and Stitch musical. Um, I It's based on YA and I think it's E.T. the musical in the book. But um, oh. so there's a, a little bit of this, the adventure piece of it, right? Where the two... 13-year-olds tell their parents they're at each other's houses. You know, Nate's parents are going off for a spa weekend. You know, they're both working so hard they don't have time for each other. And then Nate's older brother, this like super jock, has a a state track meet out of town. So like all the circumstances combine so that these two 13-year-olds can ride an overnight bus to New York. The outstanding performance, in addition to, you know, the kids who do a great job, but Lisa Kudrow is in it, and she plays his aunt, who, yes, we love Lisa Kudrow, um, who has been in New York and, you know, been trying to be a working actress. Um, And so their kind of play back and forth is interesting and fun. I like a kid sneaking into something. I mean, it has a little bit of Enola Holmes to it in that way of like, you know, they're, they, they're not where they should be. I also love, uh, and I've pointed out a few times, like a platonic best friend, yes. right? So in, in crush, I should have mentioned it more, but the main character has, um, a male best friend. And so there's a, a, a boy and a girl best friend. Sneakerella has a boy and girl best friend. And then this has, you know, his, his best friend is, is a young woman. And, that's the part that bummed me out because there's a whole plot point of her liking him and him being like, but you know, I'm not interested in you that way. And it's just like, why? Why did that have to be the thing in their relationship? There are so many other things because you know me, a pet peeve of mine is the just friends. Yeah. Don't say just like friendship is vital. So all that to say. If you like a preteen adventure and a musical, and there's a lot of kind of it, that's the other reason I, I wanted to include it because I'm a musical person. And there's a lot of kind of inside baseball kind of jokes and lines about different musicals. So that's if that's cool. an area that folks are interested in, like this will probably tickle your fancy in that way. Um and I like to see young people super talented is the other thing. So sure, a 13-year-old that can, you know, sing and dance. I love it. What I found really fascinating about this film, and, and I didn't watch it, but I did a little research, is that uh, Tim mm-hmm. Federley is the writer, director, and the writer of the original YA novel. So, like, that's, like, truly control of your world, right? <laughs> love that, yeah. And it does, like Sneakerella, it, it knows what it is, right? It is... It has a little bit of that, like, adventures in babysitting, kind of, right? The parents don't – the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. The parents don't know what the kids are up to. But then the parents and the brothers start to kind of put it together. And, you know, it was more clever than I thought it would be. Score-wise, it's pretty consistent. Um, Rotten Tomato critics gave it 83%. Audiences, 76%. And Letterboxd said 3.1%. Nice. That's great. So again, not not teen, more preteen, but good quality. If you like musicals, if you like uh, musical theater jokes, <laughs> give it a try. 
Okay, let's used to be famous. I was in a band once. But things changed. I'm finally working on a solo album. Check this out. I could play it live for you. Um, it's not our thing. It's going to be a knock from us. I'm trying to practice, man. What are you here for? I think I'm lost, you know. And now you are found. What do you want more than anything else in this entire world? Want to go to music school? Don't need nobody. Sing a little bit lower next time. I think I couldn't even finish off a verse. Now with a Tim Men, with my experience and your drumming, it's going to be banging. Yes, Vince, it's going to be banging. All right, the next film we're going to talk about, this one kind of surprised me. I, I remember distinctly where I was when I was watching it. Um, it was a weekend, not the Christmas weekend, but the weekend right before I was just alone in my apartment. It was early. Uh, I had started to watch some of these films. And this one sort of algorithmed itself okay. <laughs> onto my screen on Netflix. <laughs> so I was like, oh, it says teenager. Let me just watch it. And if it's not, it's not related, I'll stop watching it. Right. Sure. And pleasantly surprised with this one so this is a british film uh the director is eddie sternberg hadn't heard of him but the premise is kind of fun it stars ed screen i think that's how you pronounce his name um he's he's been in a ton of stuff he was in like a season of game of thrones and google okay. him out there people as as everyone british was right <laughs> yeah, fair fair enough that was a bad bad thing to say that he was in but he plays an ex-boy band member who's down on his luck obviously we had our instincts and backstreet boys here but in the same era there were so many like british boy bands that were popular 100 percent. westlife my favorite irish boy band <laughs> oh, yes. um i think boy zone is that a <laughs> british one anyway sounds like one but you hit the nail on the head like picture a guy in one of those bands, and one of those members was sort of like the Timberlake. Sure. And he has continued to have a the great... The Styles. The Styles, yes. <laughs> continued to have a sensational career. And I would say he was also like the leader, but didn't make it, quote unquote. And he's sure. down on his luck, living in an, in an apartment in London, trying for a comeback. And he sort of will play his keyboard and write music and try to get gigs and he's unsuccessful and one day he's playing his keyboard and he uh meets this boy who happens to be autistic who is an excellent drummer and they make music together and the boy is played by leo long and he is actually an, an autistic young man who is a very gifted musician He's played with, like, the London Symphony and such, a very gifted drummer. So they make music together. And you can imagine what the plot is, right? Like, sure. <laughs> it's a pretty pr predictable plot in a sense where, like, since they make such great music together, he wants to sort of, not, I don't want to say use him because he's not, his intentions are not bad, but. Right, but, like, capitalize on the experience. Yeah, he starts booking gigs with him. Um, he gets recognized, essentially, by his old 
bandmate and the bandmate you know is going on tour so his goal is like get on tour with him but he also bonds with this kid and then his mother who's a bit protective single mother played by eleanor matsura she was in walking dead and some other stuff you can imagine what the conflicts are but heartwarming fun story it sort of sounds like a cross between uh, about a boy and music and lyrics. Oh my goodness, which is 100%. funny because they're both Hugh Grant movies. Yeah. Yes, and this dude is not like Hugh Grant like. No, but just thinking of it like a has been in quotes, 100%. learning to appreciate what was, but also what is, which I think would be really hard, you know, if you have such a a huge experience including like becoming famous and touring the world or whatever at a particular age right like it's going to be hard to live in an apartment in london and not be that anymore so interesting well that sounds that sounds fun you said that was on netflix yes on netflix and how is the reception pretty decent 80 percent by the critics 80 85 percent by the audience on rotten tomatoes 3.1 3.1 on Letterboxd, so I would consider those pretty decent scores for a movie like this. Didn't seem to get a lot of traction in the U.S., but um, I think it got some traction in the U.K. And again, if you watch it just for the performances, and especially for the performance of Leo Long, I'll be honest with you, Island. when I read that there's something like autism in a you know summary of a movie... I'm nervous that they're not going to do it right. Sure. Like, I don't know what's right, but I know what right. what feels wrong. And that's when they have, like, a non... Theoretically, in this case, a non-autistic actor sure. play. Like play. a neurotypical person yes. playing. Well, like, wasn't there that... It's also musical, right? This, there is a movie that Sio is making. Oh, yes, yes, yes. With Maddie Ziegler. I, I think it might just be music, but... Like, it got to a stage of someone made a trailer, but then there was so much conversation that just seemed to drown out the actual film itself because it sounds like they had cast people that did not have that experience, which is always tough. I mean, when we're talking about, like, complexity of identities, it's so hard, right? I think representation is so important and certainly highlighting folks with with experiences of the stories you're trying to tell like I'm all for it and I don't know it just seems like kind of a clusterfuck yeah it's still a nuanced and difficult conversation it's hard to argue at the dinner table Thanksgiving you know on any side of it right like there's no right answer it just I feel like for this project if you wrote this script and you can find someone who plays it so perfectly who um, knows that experience I think Mm -hmm. For me, it just, it just like really worked here, and it was really yeah. cool to see. Uh, one of the main setups or whatever of the film is that the you know has been we'll call him uh, <laughs> basi- basically tries to track the kid down, and he sort of stumbles upon a um, I guess a church or after school sort of program for uh, not just youth but people with autism who are into music. Mm. And he really kind of finds a newer appreciation for music through this program. And it's nice. I mean, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but he's also sees himself like, hey, I don't need to be a big musician to enjoy music. I can teach. I can work with people. So like it, it's. Gotcha. Yeah. It helps him to find a path. Yeah. It's very heartwarming in, in that respect. So uh, oh, nice. I would recommend it to people who want 
heartwarming tales are, you know? That's great. And that is not the only musical prodigy style uh, film that you watched, is it? No, no. Actually, another film I watched is called The Sky is Everywhere. There were once two sisters. The older sister walked ahead of the younger one. So the younger one always knew where to go. How are you doing? Because your grandma and I have been a little worried about you. My sister is dead. There's no more music in me. No more dreams in me. I've lost the one person on earth who understood me. How is school? Bad as expected. He's a new boy in honor band. Hey, you must be Lennon Walker. Toby stopped by. Go keep him company, make him feel welcome. He is not interested in talking to me. She was the love of his life. No one at school gets it. I don't think it's possible to get it. Unless you're in it, like we are. You believe in science? From the beyond? I believe in everything. Because you've got me. Yes. By the way, the heart breaks. Music escapes. That's how it gets out. If the tide takes California, I'm so glad I got Joe Fontaine, Toby Shaw. I know I shouldn't have come. I just miss her so much. We're here without her. Okay. Okay. We're gonna be okay. So this one was on Apple TV, and I kind of had high hopes for it because it the effects looked amazing. And I, I am not an Apple fan. Okay, I shouldn't say this because maybe they'll delete the podcast from the internet. But I'm not a fan of what they call big tech. However, <laughs> however, I have to admit the clarity of picture on Apple TV is the best it's amazing this was a movie where the effects looked like they were going to be sensational and don't get me wrong they were but this this film the sky is everywhere was unfortunately everywhere in a sense like i felt like it was telling two stories at least at once i think and it just it wasn't grabbing my attention and i read a lot of the reviews it did not get the best review 65 percent by the critics and Rotten Tomatoes, 58% by the audience, 2.7 on Letterboxd. I think that the director, Jandy Nelson, that she's talented. Yeah. But, like, how can I put it? So the story is about a young woman who loses her sister, and she's coping with that. And she's sort of caught in this love triangle between her sister's ex-boyfriend. Her sister's, like, a year older than her. Okay. And a boy she meets at school. Uh, So in terms of grief, I thought there were scenes that handled grief really, really well. Just this thought, this idea that like, you know, if you've lost someone, having fun can feel guilty sometimes. Moving on can feel guilty sometimes. And that part of it, it really captured. And I do like magic realism films. But I don't know. It just didn't mesh it for me here. It is about a musical prodigy. Uh, A lot of people in the film are music. Uh, very talented musically the new boy in town who she falls for is another musician and when they play music together they'll fly right 
Oh, I see. Yeah. They seem to live in an enchanted forest. Plants are of like unusual size and there's colors everywhere. And again, beautiful movie to look at. Right. It cut to some really good things. But I found myself drifting off from time to time with it and just not being able to just connect at certain times. Jason Siegel's in it. He, he plays her father. Oh, that's that would be hard for me. <laughs> so in our third episode, we will talk about the heartbreak of realizing a dad in a film was like a hot guy from my youth. Um, and I understand for most people, Jason Siegel was not that. But he 100% in my 20s was my huge celebrity crush. So I might have to just jump in and watch a few minutes of him playing the dad just to like reorient myself and remind me that I'm very old. To be fair, he is like a dad who's like a stoner who like, I don't know if she refers to him as dad, even in the movie, like she, they live together, but he's very much like, Oh yeah. Like he's sort of like a hippie, but in this world, it makes a little bit more sense. He's a bro dad. Yeah, for sure. But it is interesting. Again, the effects look amazing. It just didn't land with me. Uh, maybe it'll land with you if you like, again, magic realism. If you like, uh, I don't know, stories of grief. Maybe you'll find nuggets here or there. I'm also like never here on High School Slumber Party in general to like be very critical of young actors. Mm-hmm. Some of the performances were better than others. I thought uh, Grace Kaufman, who plays the lead, I thought she was very good in a very difficult role to play. I could imagine, again, you're doing a movie about grief, but you're walking around probably in like CGI green screen land. (laughs) I can't imagine that's easy. So look, if you're out there and you like The Sky is Everywhere, let us know. Um, Did it mean to end on like such a negative note? This is an A24 film and Apple Studios, so... Again, both sort of like uh, trusted, trusted uh, people here in terms of making films. Look, Apple made Coda last year that won the Oscar. So there you go. If this was their big teen film follow up to Coda, kind of disappoints. I'd like to see more from this director because, again, I think she is talented. I think the cast was talented here. I just think this was a very ambitious project. Apparently it's based on a popular YA novel. That makes it even harder, right? Because then you're trying to recreate magical realism that is gonna is never going to match what is in people's imaginations. And so it sounds like, you know, like you're saying, that all the ingredients were good, but the final recipe maybe didn't taste like a cohesive dish. At least for me. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Eisen, that brings us to the end of this chapter. Uh, a lot of movies to cover this year, but I'm having fun Absolutely. doing it. Two out of three, baby. <laughs> so follow us, High School Slumber Party. Uh, maybe some other stuff coming soon. Um, follow me on Twitter at O-H-M-Y Rodriguez, O-My Rodriguez. Eisen, you're still on Instagram, correct? I am Eisen.Ruth at Instagram if you see cute dogs send them my way via instagram and yeah and in real life and in real (laughs) and in real life that too oh fabulous and join us for our third and final episode of the year 2022 in review maybe final oh (laughs) how about this follow us on our third installment of 
uh, a year in review and see where that takes us. Oh.